0: Section six of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of Saint Matthew by J. C. Ryle. Chapter three verses thirteen to seventeen. The Baptism of Christ. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Matthew three verses thirteen to seventeen. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee and thou comest to me and jesus answering said unto him suffer it to be so now for thus it becometh us to fulfil all righteousness then he suffered him and jesus when he was baptized went up straightway out of the water and lo the heavens were opened unto him and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and lighting upon him and lo A VOICE FROM HEAVEN SAYING, THIS IS MY BELOVED SON, IN WHOM I AM WELL PLEASED. YOU HAVE HERE THE ACCOUNT OF OUR LORD JESUS CHRIST'S BAPTISM. THIS WAS HIS FIRST STEP, WHEN HE ENTERED ON HIS MINISTRY. WHEN THE JEWISH PRIESTS TOOK UP THEIR OFFICE AT THE AGE OF THIRTY, THEY WERE WASHED WITH WATER. WHEN OUR GREAT HIGH PRIEST BEGINS THE GREAT WORK HE CAME INTO THE WORLD TO ACCOMPLISH, HE IS PUBLICLY BAPTIZED. Let us learn from these verses to regard the sacrament of baptism with reverence. An ordinance of which the Lord Jesus himself partook is not to be lightly esteemed. An ordinance to which the great head of the church submitted ought to be ever honorable in the eyes of professing Christians. There are few subjects in religion on which greater mistakes have arisen than baptism. There are few which require so much fencing and guarding let us arm our minds with two general cautions. Let us beware, on the one hand, that we do not attach a superstitious importance to the water of baptism. We must not expect that water to act as a charm. We must not suppose that all baptized persons, as a matter of course, receive the grace of God in the moment that they are baptized. To say that all who come to baptism obtain like and equal benefit and that it matters not a jot whether they come with faith and prayer, or in utter carelessness, to say such things appears to contradict the plainest lessons of Scripture. Let us beware, on the other hand, that we do not dishonor the sacrament of baptism. It is dishonored when it is thrust out of sight, and never publicly noticed in the congregation. A sacrament ordained by Christ himself ought not to be treated in this way, the admission of every new member into the ranks of the visible Church, whether young or grown up, is an event which ought to excite a lively interest in a Christian assembly. It is an event that ought to call forth the fervent prayers of all praying people. The more deeply we are convinced that baptism and grace are not inseparably tied together, the more we ought to feel bound to join in prayer for a blessing whenever any one is baptized. The baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ was attended by circumstances of peculiar solemnity. Such a baptism will never be again, so long as the world stands. We are told of the presence of all three persons of the Blessed Trinity. God the Son, manifest in the flesh, is baptized. God the Spirit descends like a dove and lights upon him. God the Father speaks from heaven with a voice. In a word, we have the manifested presence of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Surely we may regard this as a public announcement, that the work of Christ was the result of the eternal counsels of all the three. It was the whole Trinity, which at the beginning of creation said, Let us make man. It was the whole Trinity again, which at the beginning of the Gospel seemed to say, Let us save man. We are told of a voice from heaven, at our Lord's baptism. This was a circumstance of singular solemnity. We read of no voice from heaven before this, except at the giving of the law on Sinai. Both occasions were of peculiar importance. It therefore seemed good to our Father in heaven to mark both with peculiar honor. At the introduction both of the law and the gospel, he himself speaks. How striking and deeply instructive are the Father's words, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He declares, in these words, that Jesus is the divine Savior, sealed and appointed from all eternity to carry out the work of redemption. He proclaims that he accepts him as the mediator between God and man. He seems to publish to the world that he is satisfied with him as the propitiation, the substitute, the ransom-payer for the lost family of Adam and the head of a redeemed people. In him he sees his holy law magnified and made honorable. Through him he can be just, and yet the justifier of the ungodly. Romans 3.26 May we ponder these words well. They are full of rich food for thought. They are full of peace, joy, comfort, and consolation for all who have fled for refuge to the Lord Jesus Christ and committed their souls to him for salvation. Such may rejoice in the thought, that though in themselves sinful, yet in God's sight they are counted righteous. The Father regards them as members of his beloved Son. He sees in them no spot, and for his Son's sake is well pleased. Ephesians 1, verse 6.